Let's dive in. Job. Quick recap for everybody. Job is blameless, he's upright, and he fears God. This is how the book of Job opens. I think a lot of times we struggle with, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? God is not afraid of that conversation because the book of Job is not just why do bad things happen to good people, but why do horrible things happen to the best people? That is what the book of Job is about. And Job is upright. He's blameless. Now, that word blameless, if you remember the first sermon we, get, we, we dove in, blameless does not necessarily mean morally perfect. Yes, he had uh, a certain moral code, uh, but at some point, Job does talk about the sins of his youth, and at some point, he goes, well, maybe I am sinning, but this doesn't seem to match what, you know, whatever it is that's going on. What Job is, and, and the, in the original language in Hebrew, what that phrase blameless means, and, and the, the easiest way for us to, to think about it is the English phrase, what you see is what you get. Job is deeply authentic. What he projects on the outside is what he does on the inside. He very much wants to please God, and the deep down parts of his bones, he just can't help but be deeply authentic in his relationship with God. And we meet this man, Job, and he's blessed. He's got sons and daughters, and he's got wealth. People know him. He's well known for how much wealth he has. And then this character shows up called the Satan, or we call Satan. And the Satan in the original language just means the adversary. And he shows up in this council of God. We don't know if he was invited there. We don't know if he crashes the party. The Bible doesn't care to tell us that. That's okay. We'll wrestle with that. Um, But the Satan shows up and he says to God, Job only loves you and cares about you because he's comfortable and he has everything that he needs. And if you strip that away, you're going to find out that Job doesn't really care for you. And then, shockingly, God says, okay, you could take away Job's stuff, including his children. You could take away his business, but just don't harm him. So Job loses everything, his kids, his business, everything. And he says what is the most famous line in Job. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job keeps that mindset of no matter what, I'm going to bless the name of God. No matter what, I'm going to worship God. Then the Satan comes back and he says, okay, well, I've touched all of his stuff and all of his things, but let me touch him physically. Let me give him pain in his body and then we will see what Job is made of. And again, God shockingly says, okay, you can do that, just don't kill him. And Job goes through physical pain on top of all the emotional pain that he was going through. And then his friends show up, which I feel like is like the worst news in that whole scene because his friends are not really great. They're called the comforters. They're horrible comforters. They are just terrible. They come in and they go, if God is good and if he's just, then you are suffering because you did something wrong. Job just... Just admit it. Just admit that you're sinning all over the place and we're not seeing it. And then God will restore everything back to you. If you put this thing in, then God will give this thing back to you. And Job goes, no, you don't understand. I'm not. It's, it's not me. It's, I mean, and maybe if there's a little bit of sin, it doesn't warrant what I'm going through. And this wrestling ensues. And the first sermon we, we opened up, Job, really the only way I could sum it up is Job is a book of wrestling with God. I said, you know, a lot of people 
uh, will say, oh, you're going through a hard time, read the book of Job. That is not a good idea. <laughs> um, the book of Job is not there to just kind of placate any sort of pain that you're in and just go, oh, that's why I'm suffering. That is not the point of Job. The point of Job, and we're going to dive in a lot more, especially toward the end, but the point of Job is wrestling. You're wrestling around. You're in pain. You're going, God, I don't know what's going on. And they go round and round, chapter after chapter, 41 chapters. If you could make it through all the chapters of Job, they're going, kind of going round and around. His friends are going, you're sinning. And he's going, that's not true. Uh, they're really kind of low-blowing toward the end, each other, you know. And then something surprising happens. God shows up. God enters the scene. And, you know, we expect him to answer all the questions, right? Because Job had a lot of questions, and God does something completely different. Like while everybody's arguing around here, this level of, of existence, God comes in and he goes, don't you know I created the heavens and the earth? Don't you know how big creation is? And if creation's so big, doesn't that point to the grandness of the creator? He comes in and he brings perspective. And today I want to talk about, as we're, we're recapping Job, Three, three questions I want to talk about today. One, what did Job do right? Because Job did something right. He did. Um, number two, what did he learn? And he learned one really important thing that we're going to talk about. And number three, why, oh why, did he have to go through this? Why did he have to go through all the pain that he went through? Let's start in Job chapter 42, verse 7. I'm going to kind of bounce a little bit back and forth, so forgive me if you're following along. Um, but Job 42, verse 7, if you got your phone app, you could do that. If you want to just look at me, that's fine. You know, whatever you need to do. <laughs> uh, but 42, the, the last half of verse 7, it comes in, as he, and he's talking to Job's friends. God is addressing Job's friends, and he says this. My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer to him a burnt offering of yourself, for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal to you uh, according to your folly. Yikes. Uh, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, this is kind of shocking um, because Job just got finished really complaining about God. I mean, you go in that, he's going, like, I, God, I love you. You just feel the manicness of Job. He's in pain. He's going, I trust you, God, but I just feel like the system of the world is not right. Like, I feel like if you're punishing me, it seems way out of whack from what I think I should be punished with. And even if, it, if I deserve some punishment, why everything? Why have you taken everything and he is complaining, he is voicing his frustration with God, and in the end, God says, that's okay. That's okay. So the first question, what did Job do right? Well, I think one of the things that Job did right is he stayed at the table with God. He didn't give up. In all of his pain and wrestling, he didn't stop pursuing God. And I think in pain, we're always... We're always faced with this choice, right? Do we dive deeper into our relationship with God or we, do we dive away from him? And Job kept coming back, kept asking questions because when you're in pain, asking questions hurts even more, but he keeps showing up. There is a stubbornness in Job 
that, that wrestling of Job going, God, I'm not going to let you go until you give me some sort of resolve. I need to know this. I need to understand. It's very reminiscent of Jacob. Remember Jacob wrestling with God. It's most likely a Christophany, which is a fancy word for Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. But Jacob is wrestling with God. He's wrestling all night. And in the morning, what does God do? He gives him a new name, right? And his new name is Israel, which means to wrestle with God. There is something about this, and I, I know in kind of our cultural Christ, Christianity, it's like, let's just get the answers. Let's just move on to the next thing. Let's just like go to the expert. They'll tell you like that quick Bible verse so that you can move on to the next problem. Job is not going to have that. He's like, don't just, you know, I, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, this is something for us to remember as Christians too. When your fellow Christian is going through painful seasons, sometimes just giving them that one Bible verse is not what is needed. It's not what is needed. The Bible says to weep with those who weep. Sometimes just showing up and crying with somebody is what's needed. And Job's like, don't give me the easy answers. He's looking at his friends going, don't give me this theologically airtight argument on why I did something wrong. I don't want to hear it. There's something crazy going on and I need to understand it. And I keep coming back to the table. And Job keeps asking questions. So I think he did that right. The other thing he did is he was painfully honest with God, which caused him to be painfully honest with himself. And I think a lot of times we, we shy away from that, right? It's like, if God is painfully honest with me, if I'm painfully honest in the way that I'm feeling, oftentimes I pour out my heart to God, and by the end of my prayer, I'm going, yikes, I feel like there's something actually a little off in me at the end of this, when I'm really just pouring my heart out to God. And we have to know that vulnerability is so important. We have to know that being honest with God is so important. And maybe we get it from our friends, trusted friends. Maybe we get it in prayer time, whatever. I remember years ago, um, I, uh, I used to do this, uh, this tour called the Outcry Tour. And it was a big worship tour. And um, I, would, I was working here and I was working communications here, working behind the scenes, which is where I really feel comfortable, uh, and I really, really love that. Um, and the Lord really just pulled me out of my comfort zone. We, we started this tour, and we were, we were traveling a lot. And, um, and one time we came uh, here to Phoenix, and we were in the, again, I want to call it talking stick. What's, our, what's our, the arena's name? Foot? Little, little foot? Footprint? I don't know. Okay, something like something. I still keep wanting to call it America West Arena, which I know that's not a thing anymore. But um, uh, we, were, we were down at the basketball arena, and it felt so special. It was like I got to do this tour all over the country, and it was so great, but I was home. I'm like, I'm in Phoenix. It was the first time that we were here. Uh, so normally we would invite like, you know, maybe five to 10 people. I invited like 75 people to this night. I was just like, if I know you, please come. Like, this is going to be such a great night. And... Um, and as that, as that tour had gone on a couple of years, I had kind of learned, okay, how do we pull this together, you know? And I would lead a backstage time of devotion with, with that team and go, hey, tonight is not a concert. Tonight is ministry. Tonight we get to preach the gospel. Tonight people are going to give their life to Jesus. Like, this was that kind of moment of let's come together and remember what we're doing here. And uh, we finished that night and we prayed and uh, then I was talking to, talking to all my friends that were there and, and David was there and David came up to me and I was like, what'd you think? And uh, he said, it was good. He said, you know, tonight was just a really powerful night. And 
He said, you led so strong. It was really, it was awesome to see you doing that. He said, why don't you lead like that at home? And I was like, <laughs> like David has a loving way of like punching you in the stomach sometimes. Um, he's like so gentle and yet so painful. Um, and I went through this season of going, okay, Lord, what is that? You know, like what? I had to be honest with myself and go, okay, what, why, why am I feeling this way, you know? It's a little bit like Jesus saying a prophet is not without honor except in his own home. I felt a little bit of that, you know, but the Lord really used that, really used David in my life to, to kick me a little bit and go, okay, I need, to, I need to lead like I'm feeling called to lead, you know? And you can't get into that place without pain. This is why we need community. This is why we need prayer. This is why we need to hear from the Holy Spirit on one another's behalf. This is so important that iron sharpens iron is friction. It's friction. But it makes us better. And Job is this man who is just stripped raw of everything, and he's painfully honest with God, and he's painfully honest with himself in front of all of his friends. He's just like, I don't have any pretenses anymore. I'm not trying to act fancy or powerful anymore. I am at my absolute, most embarrassingly low point. And God, I just, I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. So Job was, he kept coming to the table. He was like persistent. Uh, he was painfully honest. And then the most important thing, though, is Job allowed himself to be interrupted by God. I really picture this, you know, like when, when God comes in and, uh, and, you know, it's like you expect him to answer all the questions that Job's asking, right? Like you expect him to come in and go, let me give you clarity. Here's what's going on. I'm going to explain everything. And God just comes in and goes, you have no idea what's going on here. Like, I love you, I know you're in pain, but you do not understand what is at stake around you. You don't understand this. And it's this loving sort of rebuke from God. It's not some, that something he did something wrong, but God's going, I want to give you perspective here in what you're up against. And Job, when he gets interrupted with that, this is his response, I love this. Job chapter 40, verse three, it says, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer. I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. You're allowed to ask God any question that you want, but just be ready for him to ask one back. <laughs> And this is, what, this is what Job experienced. He's got all these questions for God. And then God goes, do you know how I created the, the earth? And he goes, do you know everything that's going on? He's going, I actually don't, you know. I think about it like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a dad. A lot of my kids are older now. But when they were younger, they, almost all of them at some point asked me when they were really little, daddy, why do you go to work? Like, they're just so confused. Like, why do you leave me all day and go to this other place called work, and I don't know what you do there, and then you come back home? Why can't you just stay with me all day, you know? And then as a, uh, as a parent, you inevitably go, well, I've got a mortgage to pay. And they go, what's a mortgage? And you go, well, <laughs> let me tell you, the house we're living in, it's not free. And we, I didn't buy it in cash. I'm paying it off every month. And they go, interesting, why do you have to pay it off every month? You're like, well, because the daddy doesn't make enough to pay for this house in cash. So, and it's like, it gets you deeper and deeper. And you go, look, 
Kid, at some point, I can't explain to you all the inner workings of this, but trust me, I have to go to work every day. And this is what I feel like God is doing, this sort of lovingly like, look, Job, I know this is so painful for you. I know this is scary. I know that you are in deep grief, but you do not understand what is at stake here. You don't understand what's going on. And I'd love to answer all of your questions, but let me answer with this one question. Do Do you know the inner workings of this world? No. Do you see how big creation is? Yes, then that means the creator is even bigger. Trust me, Job, I'm gonna work this out for good. And this is what Job is up against. So this brings me to the second question. What did Job learn? Job learned that he is very small. (laughs) He didn't learn why did this thing happen? He just came to the point where he realizes, I am so small. And I'm not talking about insignificant. We are all significant in the kingdom. We all have a very significant role to, to play in the kingdom. But there's that beautiful, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but that beautiful moment where you're like, I am so small. I am so small. I used to go on these uh, hiking trips with my uncles. Uh, my uncle is, my uncle Joe is like an award-winning photographer. He is awesome. And, um, and uh, he would take us out and we'd go do a lot of photography together. And we went to Mount Rainier. We went to like all these amazing places. Uh, but one time we went to Death Valley, which you go, wow, Death Valley. And that's what I thought too. <laughs> um, Death Valley is kind of beautiful in its own sort of ugly way. Um, it's, uh, it's got these amazing, like these salt flats that you could go walking out on that are like, it sounds like you're walking on snow, but it's like thick salt. And it just looks like it goes on forever. Um, there's just these, these crazy places. There's the, the racetracks. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's like this mysterious place where rocks like move on their own and people are like, we think it's because of the wind and the ice and they're not really sure, but it just feels mysterious. You get out there and you go, wow, this is wild, you know? Um, and one night, uh, my Uncle Joe, he told me, he's like, you know, you could get a really cool f- uh, photograph of stars if you lock on to the North Star. Uh, the North Star doesn't move, but everything else spins around it. And um, he said, if you lock onto that and you open your aperture um, and you expose the film, it's the caveman era back when we used film, um, you open your aperture and you leave it running for a few hours, you get this beautiful picture of the stars like spinning around. He said, but you've got to wake up before the sun comes up because it'll ruin your shot. Like you've got to get out there while it's still dark. So I'm kind of like half sleep. I mean, I'm half sleeping in the tent anyways. I never sleep great in the tent. I don't know if anybody does. Um, and I, I woke up in the middle of the night, it's probably three in the morning, and it was cold, actually. This Death Valley does get pretty cold in the, in the winter. And I went out there, and, um, you know, in Phoenix, there's so much light noise. You get outside, and you're like, wow, there's like two dozen stars. This is amazing, you know? Uh, you get out to Death Valley, you're like, oh, there are millions of stars. Like, this is wild. And um, you just have that moment. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. It's like that emotional reaction sometimes of going, I'm in the presence of something huge, Like, I am so small. And this is what Job learned. He learned he is so small, and there's so much mystery in God, and he finds this peace at the end of it. And I think so many times the level of our peace is dictated, the level of peace we have in our life is dictated by the amount of mystery that we allow in our life. God is mysterious, you guys. I know we want to answer all the questions. I know we want to check all the boxes, but God is so 
mysterious, and there's things that we will just never understand. You, you look at the book of Revelation, and so many times we say, like, oh, once I get to heaven, I'll get it. You look at the book of Revelation, and there are people that are in heaven, they're asking God, how long are you going to keep doing this? Like, even when you're in heaven, they're going, I still don't understand this. Like, God is not fathomable for us. Like, he is just, he is just not. And Job learns this beautiful lesson that he is so small. And yet he's very consequential because what Job is going through is teaching a lot of people what's, how, how to suffer well. But I think this too. I think, you know, when God shows up, Job is arguing. He's, he's going round and round with God. I wrote it this way. I thought, how can I sum this up? And I said this. Oftentimes, the, the presence of God is the answer forgive me, <clears throat> is the answer to our deep questions about the world. When God shows up, we suddenly have a lot fewer questions. God seems less concerned with explaining himself than he is revealing himself. God is more interested in giving us perspective than he is giving us answers. Um, the level of our peace will often be dictated by the level of mystery we allow in our relationship with God. That's me just like verbally puking out, what, what can we learn from this? Well, when God shows up, things get into perspective. Our pain doesn't go away. Our questions may subside for a little while. But when God shows up, it makes a lot more sense. And Job prays for his friends at the end. It's interesting to me too because Job... As it wraps up, um, it says, well, I'll, I'll read it. Uh, Job 42, verse 10, it says, After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him, consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought him. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job's life more than the former part. And so Job died, an old man, full of years. Um, I think it's tempting to read this and go, well, see, Job went through all this suffering and then he got it all back and even like twice as much. Isn't that awesome? Um, and that is, that is not what's going on here. It, it's a restoration of Job. It's not a replacement. Restoration is not replacement. So Job's kids that died in chapter, chapter 2, 1 and 2, they don't get replaced there's new kids that come, but he feels grieved. And I love this line in there. It says, they comforted and consoled him once he got everything restored back to him. There's something so deep about the book of Job. There's something deep when it comes to the suffering of humanity. And Job is not those easy answers. Job is not that airtight theology that makes you feel better. At the end of it, you realize, no, there is deep sorrow in the world. And it's painful. And we're not called to just blow past it as if it's not there. We're called to engage in it. But please, do not let go of God in the midst of it. There's this thing uh, in Christian circles called deconstruction. Uh, and uh, if you're kind of in the Christian circle, you're like, oh, yeah, I've kind of heard of that. I'm, I'm a nerd. Like, this is my job. So I learn about all this stuff all the time. But uh, deconstruction is just this idea that when you're going through a crisis of faith, you start deconstructing things in your faith and you go, I don't know about that anymore. I don't know about that anymore. I don't know about that anymore. Job is deconstructing. 
Job is pulling things apart, going, I don't know, Lord. I don't know. I know you're good, and I've devoted my whole life to you, but I just don't know. I'm starting to really have a crisis of faith. And Job is tempted, I think, to go one of two ways. One, he falls away from the Lord. Uh, He just goes, I can't do it. The questions are too painful. I need to know all the answers, and I just can't do it. I can't follow you anymore. The other extreme would be what I call going to the emotionally lazy side of um, just going into uh, practicing the law. So being somebody that's like, look, this is what God says. You put this in and you get blessing. That's how it works. Stop fighting it. Stop arguing about it. Who cares, you know? Job doesn't do either one of those. He doesn't give up on God. He doesn't go after the easy theology. He stays in that messy, messy middle and he's like, God, I know you're in here somewhere. I know you're in here somewhere. This is why I'm like, Job is that book of wrestling. It's that wrestling with the Lord. So the logical question is this. Okay, Job went through all this pain. He goes through all this, you know, um, questioning of God, this wrestling with God. Why? Why did Job have to go through this? Why are we reading about this now? Well, I think the obvious answer is this. There's a couple, couple of obvious answers. One, he went through all of this to teach you and I that wrestling with God in suffering is okay. You can be messy with God. That's all right. You could say, I'm really mad at you. That's okay. You could say, I don't understand. All of that is okay. Job had no idea, right? How would Job know? Thousands of years later, we're reading this book about his life, and he is blessing us, and he's helping us process through the most difficult theological question, which is, why is there suffering in the world? Job is that story that we're all coming around going, wow, this is is unbelievable. Honestly, like I said, the book of Job is beautiful, especially when you see where there's room for Jesus. We're going to talk about that just in one minute. Um, But the book of Job tells us that wrestling with God is okay. Number two, he went through all of this to teach the spiritual realm about God's character. What? How did the book of Job start? Well, it's Job, right? And then we go into heaven. We go into the heavenly realm, the angelic realm, and what's going on? Satan's coming to God going, I don't think Job is the guy you think he is. I think if you just make him really uncomfortable and in pain, he's going to give up on you. And God's standing there going, Trust me, I I know my son. I know Job. He's not going to do that. And you notice all the angels that are in the room because there's this angelic council. None of the angels go, yeah, I agree with God. I agree. I think they're all quietly sitting back going, I don't know, that's a good point. I don't know, you know. Job is teaching the angelic realm. And David mentioned this verse, but it's something I've I've been sitting on this verse for honestly years. In Ephesians 3, it says that, we in the church teach the multifaceted nature of God to the angelic realm. So multifaceted meaning like there's so many different ways to look at the character of God. The the easy translation is this. Angels learn about God's character by looking at us. How wild is that? Job had no idea, right? He's going through this going, why, if you're good, why am I going through this? He had no idea that he was teaching the angelic realm something about God's character. And God's going, look, I know I've blessed Job a lot, but trust me, you could strip all that away and he'll still love me. 
he'll still keep pursuing me, even when it's messy and it's difficult. Job taught the angelic realm. You and I are teaching the angelic realm about the character of God. That's weird, right? The Bible's weird <laughs> in all the good ways. It's so crazy. This is where it's like we feel so small, and that's so good, and it should fuel our worship, and yet we're so significant at the same time. There are no wasted lives in the kingdom of God. Job's physical battle was primarily spiritual. Our physical battle is primarily spiritual. That's why this is so good. That's why church is so good. That's why studying the Bible is so good. That's why worship is so good. I love this verse. This is, I read this a couple weeks ago, but I'm just like, I think this sums it all up. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Church, we have to lift our eyes to the spiritual realm and understand that. Does the world seem out of control? Yeah, it seems pretty out of control. Does it seem like injustice is reigning in our time? Yeah, it feels like that. Does it feel like that relationship in your family will never be healed? Does it feel like you'll never get through the season? Yeah, I, I know. But there is something else at stake that is far beyond any one of us. And we are being prepared for the eternal weight of glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are in the book of Job. <laughs> I love that verse when Job said, if only I had an advocate to plead my case before God. There's such a hunger for advocacy in the book of Job and Jesus, you fulfilled that on the cross. You've become our advocate. You've become that bridge to us. And Lord, today we don't take it for granted. Remind us of that first love of you. Remind us, Jesus. Make us in awe of who you are. Jesus, we thank you that, Lord, as we go through this life and there is so much suffering and there's so many difficult things that we face, but God, you are not aloof. Thank you, Jesus, that you know what it was like to be betrayed. Thank you, Jesus, that you know what it was like to be in physical agony. Thank you, Jesus, that you know what it was like to just question God. Why have you forsaken me? You said that to your father on the cross. Thank you that you understand where we're at. You empathize with where, you're, where we're at because you've been there. You are not a distant God, but you're a near God. Thank you for that. Lord, humbly, we just ask today that you'd remind us how small we are. I pray that we'd allow ourselves to be interrupted by you, Holy Spirit, when we're getting in that loop of argument and stress. That God, we take a deep breath in your presence and allow ourselves to be interrupted joyfully by you. 
And we pray that we'd be a community of empathy and care for one another. Not fake plastic smiles, Jesus, but true joy. And sometimes joy is painful. But Jesus, we worship you. We praise you. Thank you for this wonderfully complex book of Job. Help us, Lord. Help us to know more and more of how to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's engage in worship. Let's stand up. Um, I know I've said this before. Worship is not our singing, singing time. It is. It's a, it's a time to sing. But it's a time to remind our heart of who Jesus is. It's our, t- it's our time to just remind ourselves of who God is. So let's really engage. Set your heart on Jesus and let's sing together.